Investing in our future. Acting now and acting well with Arabile Kumede. This podcast series is dedicated to considering what decisions we need to commit to in order to see meaningful change. Powered by Standard Bank. If you go back to the middle of the 19th century, the limited liability company was formed as an instrument to raise capital and to create jobs. It was created by society for society. It's naturally creating the accountability that we are talking about. And you don't need overly complex regulations to drive that. Welcome to Investing in Our Future, Acting Now and Acting Well a podcast series unpacking how to redefine business for a regenerative future. In this podcast series, myself, Arabi Lekomete, will be unpacking the current state of environmental, social and corporate governance in South Africa, as well as the shifts needed to make a fundamental change that can achieve a resilient and regenerative economy. If we don't act now, we risk everything. We have reached the limits of business as usual. The environment, society and even the economy can no longer afford for us to play the blame game. The world needs us to solve these problems as business and society. One thing is for sure that if we succeed in acting now and acting well, we can redesign our economy and unlock sustainable growth. In this series then and in this episode of the podcast, we talk about central banks a little bit and whether they should have a green mandate and how far that should go. How much do businesses actually tackle the issues in and around corporate governance in South Africa and whether they feel like responsible investing is happening a whole lot more in this day and age? Is this a zero-sum game? For this discussion, we're joined by Professor Mervyn King, former governor then of the Bank of England, and Vikas Buerta, who is E&Y Africa Energy and Natural Resources Leader. Investing in our future. Acting now and acting well. Powered by Standard Bank. Prof, maybe if I could then uh, start with you and really just talk about how, for example, the King 4 report on corporate governance for South Africa speaks really about ethical leadership, the organization and society, corporate citizenship, sustainable development, uh, stakeholder inclusivity, as well as integrated thinking and reporting. How does that sort of change the way that corporates interact with the community and the environment around them? Well, the company does not operate in an economic bubble. It operates in the triple context of the economy, society, and the environment, or as some people call it, people, planet, and prosperity. Mm. That's now been accepted. So if you go back to the middle of the 19th century, the limited liability company was formed as an instrument to raise capital and to create jobs. It was created by society for society. So the doctrines and judgments of superior courts throughout the world during the 20th century were wrong. To say that the purpose of a company is to increase its profits for the benefit of its shareholders. That wasn't the purpose of the establishment of limited liability for those who invested. The limited liability concept was for the benefit of society. That's now been accepted. So the ESG phrase developed out of sustainability, environmental, social and governance. How a company is governed, how it's directed and controlled, depends on whether it's adding value to society or it's not. 
It's easy, I believe, for you, me and Vickers to start a company and run it, pouring waste into a nearby river, saving costs of disposing of the waste and having activities which are actually impacting adversely on the environment and society, boosting our bottom line profit. But holistically, we're actually destroying value for planet Earth. So that's changed. That's the mindset that has changed. Mm, do you think that many have begun catching on or is it with the many reiterations then of King that I think a little bit more focus and zoning in on what is significant, what is important uh, is sort of coming to the light? I've been associated in the last good six months as one of the world leaders on governance and as chairman emeritus of the Value Reporting Foundation with the International Financial Reporting Standards Board, with IOSCO, with the Securities Exchange Commission of America. So, world bodies. Now, the way directors report is the lifeblood of your duty to be accountable. Yeah. And the content of your report is how you account. And uh, that will change in the sense that the SDG, Sustainable Development Goal 17, is collaboration. And there is now huge collaboration. And I think people will be absolutely astonished the consolidation that's taken place and the resultant changes to corporate reporting, which I think is a stepping stone. What I believe is the end game to create a global comprehensive corporate reporting system. In other words, if you're in South Africa, Belarus, China, Russia, or America, when you pick up a corporate report, it must be comparable. Sure. Vickers, if I go to you here on this one, I mean, this is a, a subject matter that becomes extremely important in the energy and natural resources space. Um, has there been sufficient, let's call it regulation around it? And, and I only say that because with the right amount of regulation, we kind of know the progress, I suppose, and, and how far it, it, it's gone, particularly in the corporate world. Is there sufficient following through of that regulation? You know, I don't think necessarily it's an issue for regulation. The extractive industries in its various forms has been subject to regulation, you know, for its entirety. And there's a lot of regulation. Perhaps a step back in, in, in reconsidering the burdensome volumes of, of regulation and perhaps figuring out what's really relevant and, and what What's really there to drive the ambitions and the objectives that's trying to achieve. That's that's the focus of, of regulation. Professor, if I come back to you then and, and really just touch on something you've you've spoken about pretty recently and really around central banks and whether they should then be involved, for example, in supporting government's targets of achieving that net zero. Do you think central banks should be getting involved in that? No, I think it's not central banks, uh, Rabili. It's capital markets and the great asset owners and asset managers of the world and maybe central banks in investing. In the capital markets of the world, if a company in South Africa issues, for example, a bond with a certain coupon, the capital and the great asset owners and asset managers of the world don't only do a financial due diligence today, they do an ESG due diligence. So they'll ask the question, what are the activities of the company and how has it made its money? Because the way it makes its money will depend whether it's having a positive impact on the environment or a negative impact on the environment. If it's negative, you've got to take account of that in assessing value. So if you and I are the trustees of a pension fund, if there are negative impacts on society and the environment, we would not invest in that company because clearly it's not sustainable.
I suppose then the, it's also passing the buck a little bit, right? It would be passing the buck here in, in terms of shifting the responsibility a little bit to the central banks. No, absolutely. And that's why I think I was talking about regulation. I'm not a great believer in regulation. It's evidenced in South Africa through the Public Finance Management Act. It hasn't resulted in good governance in our state and enterprises. So you can legislate for honesty, but you can't create intellectual honesty. Are they intellectually honest or you're not? And you either act in the best long-term interest of the company, forget about your own interests or that of your relations or whatever it is. Intellectual honesty is a critical issue in being a trustee of a pension fund or a director of a company because the company is an incapacitated person. And it's heart, mind, soul, and conscience is yours. Yeah. Vikas, we were still talking about regulation if we add on to perhaps what uh, the professor was speaking about there. I think the, the prof also hit the nail there that regulation is not what's going to solve it. Values will always trump regulations and legislations. And I think it's much more around the values. Now, the interesting thing for me is if we look at just how society has developed, and I think ESG has brought that very much to the fore, but employees are looking for responsible employers. Investors are looking for responsible companies to invest in. Society is looking to associate themselves with people who are, you know, responsible in the manner that resonates with their expectations, with their values, and so forth. And so it's naturally creating the accountability that we are talking about. And you don't need overly complex regulations to drive that. What you do need is transparency in reporting. But with information, we are all able to analyze, understand, interpret, think about it, and share our views and hold accountable, which I think is is really bringing a little bit of that political power back to each and every one of us as an individual, as opposed to creating it that seems intangible and far away. Still to come on Investing in Our Future, acting now and acting well. Still to come on this episode... I want to know from our guests whether COP26 and all other COP iterations can be made more than just a talk shop. Vickers, we also have quite a bit when it comes to information right now, data, the ability to collect so much more data right now. And the matrices are are really there, right? They give evidence of what it is that is needed, how it's been working so far, if it hasn't, where we currently sit. We may miss the mark even when it comes to the apportionment of that 1.5 degrees. And those sort of things then begin to galvanize some as well. How significant is it in the movement forward that we keep taking that information and that data and we actually use it to Pull ourselves forward. What we should give ourselves some credit for is that South Africa's frameworks for governance are well established and are incredibly well recognized. And Prof King here, who's been driving a lot of this, you know, starting from the first King iteration until where we are now. So in terms of governance frameworks and that, we really do have world-class frameworks. In terms of our financial reporting, it's also, I mean, we're following IFRS and there's good regulations, so it's great. In terms of the sustainability measures, you know, we've always been there. But what you've noticed is that a lot of it has operated and has been analyzed in isolation. 
So typically sustainability measures, even for very progressive companies, the work streams internally to drive the information and the analysis for sustainability information has never been as sophisticated and integrated as that for financial information. And I think as we get better at being able to articulate information in a coherent manner, that's when all of this information uh, will become more relevant. The availability and the abundance of information, I don't think that's the issue. The ability to bring it together, analyze it and articulate the real story, that's probably what our focus should be on. Mm. Prof, earlier on, you, you did mention that it's no longer just about the bottom line. Some might say, though, that without the bottom line, and this is just me playing devil's advocate here, without that bottom line, there wouldn't even be an ability to focus on things like ESG. So the question then becomes, is this a zero-sum game? No, the bottom line is critical. It's a question of how we got to that bottom line. If we get to the bottom line and we've got having an adverse impact on the environment, well, then we're not adding value to society and the company shouldn't be operating. Because if you look at the society's balance sheet, the liabilities are increasing and the assets are decreasing. Our natural resources are decreasing. And we're in a situation, I said a couple of months ago in a talk I gave, that nature's starting to take its revenge on us as homo sapiens. Mm. Because the biggest user of natural assets is the limited liability company. And the 20th century was one of unsustainable development because we used natural assets faster than nature was regenerating them. Clearly not a sustainable matter. And that was one of the drivers, a change in thinking to be integrated. Vickers is absolutely right. You need that integration of the so-called non-financial. Don't like that word because I all have financial outcome. But the so-called non-financial with the financial to arrive at Arabili, a true value of the company so that you and I understand discharging our duties to the beneficiaries of a pension fund can with confidence invest in that company that it's got a probability of being around in 25 years time and we have to realize it in order to pay our beneficiaries their pensions. Vickers, mm. your thoughts there? Yeah, I think the prof is again spot on that you can't ignore the fact that a business is in the business to generate cash flows, to create profits and, and a sustainable profitability into the future. But I think one of the things where all of us have perhaps struggled is because we've been considering it in a binary manner. We've been thinking it's either profits or something else, whereas it's actually all of the above. And it's the way in which we get there. And that's, you know, coming back to my earlier point, our employees are holding us accountable now for operating in that manner. Our shareholders are holding us an account to operate in that manner. Society at large is doing that. So you're getting accountability from everywhere. And I think because everyone have realized the importance of it's not just what you do, but it's also how you do it. And that's really the shift in the thinking. In, in my mind, in very simple terms, that's the that's the shift in thinking around, you know, sustainable business. I'm going to put out something here just with regards to, you know, the COP discussion and, the, and, and how for the past 26, if not 27 years, things like carbon emissions haven't necessarily gotten any better. You know, things haven't necessarily gotten as we'd like them to despite things like the Paris Accord, etc. Prof, how do we make sure then that COP26 and all other reiterations of COP after this aren't just talk shops? Because sometimes it begins to feel like we meet and then nothing happens. Well, now the world, and I mean the world, because Singapore, Malaysia, China, the US, Australia, saying that in order for a director to discharge his or her duty of care, there are two critical risk factors to look at the risks and opportunities 
impacting on the business of the company. And that is climate change and cybersecurity. Those are going to be the two critical risks. So during the pandemic, the collective mind of boards has focused on short-term issues, on survival. But in two years' time, whenever it happens, we will move back into a thriving mode in the economy. And so Vickers and I as directors cannot stop thinking about strategy for long-term sustainability, the long-term best health of the company. So we have to embed into our business model and our strategy the risks and opportunities impacting on the business of the company of climate change, which is happening now, and cybersecurity, which is happening now. Because I, I, I don't know your thoughts then on just making sure that when we meet for COP, it's not just talk. Yeah, look, I think it's perhaps be a little bit controversial and, you know, getting straight to the point here. In all of my dealings with boards of directors of companies, the topic of sustainability and ESG and all the various derivatives thereof is absolutely top of mind. It's not such an easy thing to figure out and to deal with, but things like allocating capital based on sustainability measures, things like measuring wealth and performance, articulating not just the typical financial metrics that we used to, but a broader set of metrics, all the companies I talk to are very keen on further embracing and getting better and embedding it in the strategy. And they realize that it's about embedding it in the strategy. But the journey is not something that you just do overnight and you flip a switch and it happens. So for me, what's encouraging is that the business community, they recognize the importance thereof and, and they are trying to do something about it. That, that's, that's the first point I would raise. The second thing is, it's fantastic that we create global visions and global pacts and, and, and we communicate our, our ambitions. It's really, really great. What will really move the dial is the commercial and the economic attributes to this. You know, decarbonization is something that everyone talks about and you almost can't have even a dinner party these days without decarb coming up. But decarb does not mean that it's zero coal, zero gas, zero nuclear. It doesn't mean that. There's a place for all of that. You know, the Southern Hemisphere or the developing countries have got a very different energy environment than, say, the developed world in the Northern Hemisphere you know, who has moved on from, say, coal-based, or whether natural resources have to be shipped a couple of thousand miles, you know, to get there. So there's a lot of dynamics at play. But what you will see is that the role of, say, renewable energy, it will continue to grow. It will evolve. But as the prices drop and as the efficiency happens and as its ability to store energy as opposed to just on-demand usage, as that all develops, you will see the natural transition. And everyone speaks of the just transition. But the just transition has already started and it will continue to go. But it doesn't mean that it's binary and it also doesn't mean that it's going to happen overnight. Especially that overnight part. I think that's very critical. Yes, we've had 26 reiterations of COP, but it means we have to to just keep on going. Prof, I'm going to close off just with uh, some thoughts from you and, and just saying, I suppose that from now on, this is how we measure future leaders, not just but by how they look after their workers and ensure that there's profitability, but certainly how they look after their environment too. Yes, I think um, in King 4, we talk about effective leadership. And by that, we mean uh, that Vickers and I as directors acknowledge, accept that we're acting for an incapacitated person, the company, that has no heart, mind, soul or conscience. And we are the heart, mind, soul and conscience of a company. So when something goes wrong, the wrath of society must turn against Vickers and me, not against the company. I gave a talk in Australia, which was broadcast on the Australian Broadcast Corporation, about the innocent company. No company's ever committed a wrong. It can't. It's incapacitated. Mm. But it's 
corporate leaders that haven't acted effectively and with an ethical mindset that that meaning put aside your corporate sins of self-aggrandizement, self-enrichment, pride, arrogance, etc. And just cross that Rubicon, that intellectual honesty, and know you've got to act, even though it's not in your best interest or your auntie's best interest, but the best long-term interest of the health of the company. Because if you get that right, it's in the long-term best interest of all the stakeholders. Gentlemen, I couldn't think of a better place to close things off. Thank you so, so much for the time. Really appreciate it. Professor Mervyn King and Vickers Buerta as well. Thank you so much for joining us in uh, this Investing in Our Future podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please share it on your social networks. The more people are acting well and acting now the better. Remember to subscribe via your favorite podcast apps in order to receive the episodes as they launch in quick succession. If you have comments on what has been covered, please further the conversation using the hashtag powering impact. And until next time then, goodbye. Investing in our future. Acting now and acting well with Arabile Kumede. This podcast series is dedicated to considering what decisions we need to commit to in order to see meaningful change. Powered by Standard Bank.